Hello and welcome to the Indiana Lawyer Podcast, your source for news and Hoosier law, brought to you by Taft. I'm Tyler Fenwick, Indiana Lawyer, Senior Reporter, and your host for this week. As always, thanks for joining us. For our extended interview this week, I spoke with Joe Skeel from the Indiana State Bar Foundation. We talked about an upcoming CLE abroad trip to Scotland. But before we get to that, I'm here in our studio with reporter Alexa Shrake and managing editor Daniel Carson to talk about this week's news. Today is Wednesday, May 3rd, and these are your headlines. I'll get us started here with an update about a proposal in the state budget that had some child welfare advocates concerned. Republican lawmakers have scrapped a pilot program that would have replaced DCS attorneys with contractors in two regions, including Marion County. Instead, lawmakers are asking the Legislative Council to assign an interim study committee to study the feasibility of privatizing attorney operations in those regions. Child welfare advocates said they were caught off guard by the proposal from Senate Republicans, who included the pilot program in their version of the budget bill. A DCS source told me last week some Republican senators, quote, ambushed agency executives and that DCS wasn't aware of the program until the budget was released. But at least one senator said that was unfair characterization of the meeting. Okay, so now we'll go over to you, Alexa. I know you have another update on the dispute between Attorney General Todd Rokita and Dr. Caitlin Bernard. So what can you tell us about that? So in the last episode, I was here talking about how Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita was asking a Marion County judge to reopen and reconsider a lawsuit with Dr. Caitlin Bernard, an Indianapolis doctor who made headlines when she publicly shared last summer that she had performed an abortion on a 10-year-old Ohio girl. A trial judge ruled back in December that Rokita violated state law when he publicly discussed his investigation into Bernard. And Bernard later voluntarily dismissed the case. Rokita was asking the Marion Circuit Court to reopen the case so he could challenge the finding that he violated state law. Last week, we saw some movement on that. This time, Rokita filed a motion to withdraw, which was granted just a few days later by the Marion Circuit Court judge. In a statement, a spokesperson for Rokita's office said, quote, Despite earlier public statements, Dr. Bernard's attorneys have now agreed on the record that the court's earlier statements of finding is dicta and therefore not binding on any other tribunal. They also acknowledge that Dr. Bernard's voluntary dismissal of her suit meant that it is treated as if it never existed. For these reasons, it is in the interest of judicial economy the motion was withdrawn, and that withdrawal has been accepted by the court, end quote. But even though the lawsuit is over, the administrative action against Bernard's medical license, which was filed by Rokita, is still pending. Bernard is set to appear before the Indiana Medical Licensing Board on May 25th. The board will consider Rokita's claim that Bernard failed to immediately report the abuse and rape of the 10-year-old girl from Ohio she performed an abortion for, that she violated patient privacy by publicly discussing the girl's case but Bernard maintains she followed the protocol of her employer, IU Health. Okay, so it sounds like that case is changing pretty fast. And we'll keep it with you, Alexa, because you were also paying attention to Court of Appeals interviews. So what's the latest there? Yeah, so after a long day of nine interviews on April 24th, 
The Indiana Judicial Nominating Commission selected attorneys Stephanie Bibbs and Justin Forkner and Hamilton Circuit Judge Paul Felix as the finalist for the Court of Appeals vacancy that will open up when Judge Margaret Robb retires this summer. All three nominees have applied to the appellate court previously. Bibbs currently serves as Deputy Director of Litigation in the Office of Judicial and Attorney Regulation. In her interview, Bibbs discussed how she took the feedback she received from her previous appellate interview. She said she now feels like a new person. Specifically, she worked on doing more mentorship and civil work. Forkner is currently Chief Administrative Officer for the Indiana Supreme Court. He discussed his time in the Army and the skills he gained working in a team that are important skills for the appellate court. For his part, Felix talked about his upbringing and how it motivates him to do better and help those like his family. Once the names of the three finalists for Rob's vacancy are officially submitted to Governor Eric Holcomb, who will have 60 days to name her successor. Okay, we'll come back to you in a minute, Alexa, but I want to go over to you, Daniel, for a minute. So you have an update on a judge who was reprimanded. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah, Tyler. Uh, on April 18th, the Indiana Supreme Court publicly reprimanded Decatur Circuit Judge Timothy Day for unauthorized ex parte communications and for failing to take appropriate remedial measures regarding those communications. Day has been a judge since 2013 and presides over a general jurisdiction docket that includes child and needs of services, termination of parental rights, adoption, and guardianship cases. In handling those cases in 2020, Day, quote, repeatedly engaged in unauthorized ex parte communications with attorneys representing the Department of Child Services to the exclusion of guardians ad litem, court-appointed special advocates, and unrepresented parties. And in one instance, Day received an ex parte communication from an attorney who frequently represents parents in Chin's cases without notifying DCS attorneys and other parties, unquote. Also, during an investigation by the Indiana Judicial Qualifications Commission, Day admitted, quote, that when represented parents would send him ex parte communications, he would shred them without reading them and without notifying the parties or providing them a chance to respond, unquote. Day and the JQC agreed that he violated four provisions of the Code of Judicial Conduct. The parties also agreed that a public reprimand is the appropriate sanction. In imposing the reprimand, the justices reemphasized that aside from narrow exceptions, a judge shall not initiate, permit, or consider ex parte communications concerning a pending or imminent matter. Okay, so back to you, Alexa, for more on an Indiana Supreme Court ruling. What can you tell us about that? So the Indiana Supreme Court handed down an opinion a few weeks ago to clarify a previous ruling. The first ruling from 2020, which involved a juvenile case, held that the dangerous possession of a firearm statute did not apply retroactively to a separate juvenile case. In that 2020 ruling, the high court held that because the dangerous possession of a firearm statute expressly applied to minors, the offense couldn't be committed by an adult. Fast forward to April 2023, ruling in that case, M.H. had been arrested in 2019 when he was 14 for trespassing, which led to the discovery of a loaded handgun in his possession. He argued that the jurisdiction rule announced in 2020 may apply retroactively to collaterally attack 
a final delinquency adjudication as void, the high court disagreed, finding it could not be applied retroactively. Okay, one more thing from you, Alexa, this time for a hate crime indictment. So what's going on there? A woman that stabbed an Indiana University student in Bloomington several times has been federally indicted for a racially motivated hate crime. The student was getting off the bus when Billy Davis allegedly stabbed her in the head with a folding knife. The indictment alleges that the offense included an attempt to kill the student. It also alleges Davis willfully caused bodily injury to the student and attempted to do it with the use of a knife and because of the student's race and national origin. Before the federal indictment, Davis was already facing charges related to attempted murder and battery charges in the Monroe Circuit Court. That case was dismissed without prejudice on April 25th. And Daniel, I'll come back to you here. I know you've been following some legislation at the State House, so what's the latest there? Thanks, Tyler. Uh, according to the Associated Press, Indiana Republicans pushed through a proposal April 24th that took a stand against what's known as ESG investing, although disagreements within their legislative majorities narrowed it from what conservatives first sought. House members voted 66-29 for final passage of the bill aimed at preventing leaders of the state's pension funds for teachers and other government workers from investing any of their roughly $45 billion with firms that consider environmental, social, and governance principles in their investment decisions. The bill now goes to Republican Governor Eric Holcomb for his decision whether to sign it into law. The Indiana Pension Fund Board has said it hasn't followed ESG investment strategies, which have become the target of Republican lawmakers across the country who argue they are more focused on pushing political agendas rather than earning the best returns. According to Representative Ethan Manning of Logansport, the bill's sponsor, the ban is needed in Indiana to ensure that financial returns trump all. According to Manning, quote, our concern is when these large asset managers on Wall Street are using their outsized market power to force decisions on companies when it's not best for them, unquote. The Indiana Chamber of Commerce, the state's largest business group and some other business organizations, objected to earlier versions of the bill calling proposed investment limitations, quote, anti-free market, unquote. An analysis of the first version of Manning's proposal projected that the limitations would cost the state pension system $6.7 billion over 10 years. Business groups dropped much of their opposition after the initial proposal was rewritten. Supporters of ESG investing principles argue that it's financially prudent to consider issues such as whether a shift to green energy makes investing in fossil fuel companies riskier. Hundreds of investors, companies, and institutions have signed on to a freedom to invest statement, arguing that ignoring, quote, the robust economic benefits, unquote, of clean energy represented a failure to build a stronger economy. The bill had not been signed at our deadline. Well, thanks to both of you for those updates. And I know based on that, it probably sounds like I don't do much around here, but I promise I do. And I'll finish up our headlines today with a preview of a story I'm working on for our next print issue. So you might remember just a few weeks ago, some survivors and victim families from the 2021 FedEx shooting filed a lawsuit against companies that manufactured and distributed the magazine used in that shooting. But it's notoriously difficult to prevail in these cases. I'll talk to some experts about what that history means for this case. 
I'll also try to find out if it matters that this lawsuit is focusing on the high-capacity magazine and not the actual gun. You can read that in our May 10th edition. Okay, that'll do it for headlines this week. As always, if you want more legal news, theindianalawyer.com is the place to go. Stick around after our sponsor break to hear this week's extended interview. Taft, today's modern law firm. At Taft, we cultivate a highly respectful, transparent workplace that fosters creativity, teamwork, inclusion, and diversity. We couple our culture with a client-first approach, rewarding lawyers who understand their clients' goals and work to deliver success. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. For this week's extended interview, I'm joined here in our studio by Joe Skeel. Joe is the executive director of the Indiana State Bar Association, and for purposes relevant to our conversation today, something of a world traveler. The Bar Association is doing a CLE abroad trip to Scotland in June. It's a trip that will include meeting with scholars and attorneys and artists, plus castle tours, and of course, a trip to the birthplace of golf. So thanks for joining me today, Joe. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate it. So before we talk about Scotland specifically, can you give me an idea of just what goes into putting these trips together? Sure. From the state bar's perspective, and all honestly, not a lot. Um, we work with a company called CLE Abroad, um, and the owner of that company, um, his name is Danny Perez, and he's a lawyer. Uh, and so he has actually been working and planning CLE Abroad trips for years. And so the way that it works is we work with them. Um, the state bar who's organizing chooses the location, chooses maybe what some of the topics are, and they pretty much do the rest. So it's we're like working with a corporate travel agency. And it sounds like even if Indiana isn't like officially recognizing a trip, people from here can still get on board with those. Yeah. So the way that their business model has evolved, uh, it used to be they would work specifically with one group, one state bar, uh, and then they would plan a trip and however many could come would go. But what they've started doing recently, which I actually like, uh, and I think it's been a benefit to them, is they open it up to a bar and a bar will help plan them. But then they will invite groups from other bar associations as well. And so Scotland is an example where Indiana didn't plan it, um, but it is open to our members. And so they're doing more and more and more of that. And what that really does is it allows for them to get more people on the trip without the pressure of a state bar having to get a certain minimum number. Now, for this trip to Scotland, I think I gave the highlights in the intro. You did. Uh, but of course, you'll be there in part to learn about the, the Scottish legal system. And uh, I was trying to learn about the Scottish legal system this morning before you came in. I could not, no. to be honest with you. I was hoping you could give us maybe a half hour crash course sure. on the history of law there. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, it, it's got to be exciting, right, to go to a new place and learn about a new legal system. Yeah, what's always fascinating about these trips, in my estimation, are the similarities, you know, based on the rule of law. You know, for us, Magna Carta, other countries, it might be a little different. But the places that we go and where we learn about the legal structure, there's always that element of the rule of law and its role in society and why it's important. Now, how you how you administer that, you know, what that looks like, it's it's all a little bit different depending on where you are. But it's always interesting because no matter where we have been, it's really easy for our members, our attorney members, to relate to what what the system is there. So there's there's always a frame of reference, you know, that there's always these commonalities. 
But then there's always things that are so dramatically different and crazy that make it really unique and exciting and interesting. So I think I think our members really enjoy feeling like they're something they're part of something bigger. You know, there's a lot more attorneys out there, a lot of other legal systems that work differently, but yet we're still all kind of the same. One of the things I would think anyway that makes the Scottish system unique, at least right now, is is the way Brexit has played into it. Is that true? Uh, I would think so. And then, of course, you know, what does that mean for legislation and what kind of laws are passed? But the types of programming we usually hear about, I would say, are now the questions are always really specific. So when our, you know, when our members or the participants go and ask questions, they're often specific. But the programming that's usually offered is usually very general. And so I don't know that there will be a whole lot of specific programming there. It'll be more about, so for example, when we were in Morocco, you know, we learned about, well, what does family law look like in Morocco? So not so much specific adoption rights, perhaps, or guardianships, um, but just what does family law look like? And so I think that that's usually what our members are exposed to. But the way the programs are structured, which I'm sure we'll get into here in a few minutes, uh, it can get pretty detailed depending on what kind of questions our members have. Is it like a uh, meant to serve as sort of a, a launching point for anybody who's maybe you you come back from Scotland and you're like, that was super interesting. I want to keep learning more. Is that kind of the, the way it functions? And do you know, like, have you ever done that for yourself or know anybody? So I think for some it does. I think for, it's a launching point. Uh, I think for others, they are already interested in it. They already know a little bit about it and then they want to go and learn more. But I think for probably the majority, it's just simply learning about something that's a little different. Uh, I don't know that folks, most folks have an interest in learning more uh, about it, but it's exposure, right? And it's and it's just, you just get a different perspective on how are things done in a different country. And so I think the people who go on these trips more so than anything else, just appreciate the different perspectives. What are you looking forward to most going to Scotland? So I think the, I think the reason most people go on these trips, and let's be honest, the CLE is interesting. I don't know of many people who go on this to get 12 or 13 or 14 hours of CLE. I mean, you can get that here in Indiana, right? If, so if you're only after it uh, for the credits, probably not the most efficient or economical way to go about it. So without a doubt, the the best benefit of this trip to Scotland or any place that we go, really, it's, it's the people that we meet, which uh, is usually... Um, we have access to people through these trips that a common tourist would not have. And so it's access to people and, and groups and hearing from people that, that the, you know, the, the common person wouldn't get. So I think that's the key. But then, of course, the sights, right? The sounds, the food, the culture. That's really what drives folks to go on these trips. And so in terms when you think about Scotland, obviously the history, you know, if there's any, you know, golf buffs in the group, I'm sure they'll appreciate St. Andrews. But I think really it's it's this mix of, you know, travel and for people who are interested in seeing what the world has. But then there's this little added element that's kind of tied to the job and the profession. But by and large, without a doubt, the draw is not the CLE. Um, that's the excuse to go, I think, is how I hear it most times. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, what's the split, do you think, between things you would consider CLE-specific, learning legal stuff, that kind of thing, versus we're going to St. Andrews today? Right. So the way the structure, the days are structured most of the time is you might have a lecture or two. You know, maybe it's in the morning. Maybe one of the lectures occurs on the bus as you're traveling between destinations. Maybe a lecture occurs in the evening, but really no more than two one-hour lectures a day, usually. And so if you're out and about for eight to 10 hours um, and you factor in one or two of those hours of CLE, 
it is more about travel and tourism than it is, you know, sitting in seminar rooms and hotel rooms listening to presentations. Now, how many of these trips have you been on? So I've been to Cuba twice. I just got back from Morocco in February. Um, and so that's, that's three. And the State Bar, since I've been there in 2018, and I think, I think my first trip to Cuba, which was in 2018, uh, I think that was one of the first that we did with this group. Uh, but since then, I know that they have taken trips. CLE Abroad has taken trips um, to Portugal, which some of our members have been to Portugal on that trip. Israel is coming up, I think, next year. Italy's coming up. I think they did Colombia, you know, Morocco, obviously. So, um, so I've been to three, but there have been a lot more that they have taken. Uh, unfortunately, I can't get to all of them. Yeah. That'd be great. Right, right. <laughs> when you get back, does it change the way you, you view or think about our legal system here? Uh, it does from it does in a couple in a couple ways. Again, kind of going back to what I said earlier, I'm always and I don't know why I'm always surprised, but I'm always surprised at how similar they are just in in kind of like how they're rooted, you know, the fundamentals, the core values I think that are are behind a legal system. They're all very similar for the most part. Uh, and even when you you're talking about the legal system in Morocco, which which is really based on Islamic law. Uh, and so when you think about how their laws came about and what their structure is, the fact that they're incredibly similar, you know, the concepts are incredibly similar to our laws here in the United States, it just fascinates me. You know, how can how can groups of people so different and have such a different culture at the end of the day arrive at pretty similar places, you know, when it comes to what's right, what's wrong, how do you administer justice, those sorts of things. Of course, all countries looked at other models, you know, and 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 steal from other groups about, you know, what works well, what doesn't work well. And so there's always that, but that always strikes me. Um, but then I also, there are these elements that are just like, I can't believe that a country would operate that way. But oftentimes I think, why can't we do something that seems this simple, you know, but, you know, who knows the reasons that the, sure the rationale and the reasons are, are way above my pay grade. But um, so it's always this just weird mix of how similar we are, yet not quite understanding why we why some things can't be easier um, for either us or them. Culturally, I mean, you, of course, you're meeting with the the scholars, the legal people, the, the the ones who really understand the ins and outs of what's going on in in the legal system. But it seems like there's probably a benefit too to just being immersed in a culture for however long you're there and and getting that sort of on the ground perspective of what life is like there, right? Yeah, that is a great point, and I would say I think that's actually something that our our members, the participants, enjoy most. The legal stuff is interesting, and and they do ask a lot of questions, and I, and those conversations carry on after the lectures are over. But when you ask folks what they enjoyed about the trip, most of the time it's the culture. It's being immersed in a diff completely different culture. Uh, for example, when when um, you know we were just in Morocco, so a lot of my examples come from that most recent trip. But one of the things that CLE Abroad organized through the trip was an in-home visit. And so they broke the group. So we had about, I don't know, 35 or 40 people. They broke that group into three different groups. They separated spouses. So you, you lost your safety blanket, right? And then we were all hosted by a local family. And each of the local families, you know, had brothers, sisters, sons, daughters. Uh, and it was just like going into a family for a visit, for an evening visit. And then each of the families provided an, an home a home-cooked meal that they would eat traditionally at Ramadan. So it was like the end of the Ramadan feast was the meal that they made for us when we came into their home. And I think that was probably a highlight for most of the people on the trip because we really got to talk to the people who live there, ask them about their daily lives. They did the same you know, to us. And so I think it was just that exchange of just 
people talking one-on-one. What's your life like? What are the things you wish were better? How do you feel about America? They asked how we felt about Morocco. And so it was really, I think that's really the the, the most valuable thing that people get out of it. How do they feel about America? Uh, Moroccans love America. Yeah. Uh, which actually surprised me. You know, a lot when you, you go to the Middle East or you talk to a lot of folks uh, or you hear about, I should say, not when you talk. Because what I find is when you talk to individuals, governments may, may not like each other. Usually the individuals don't have an issue with each other, right? Um, but Morocco, uh, even their government uh, and their king, they they like America. They're big fans. So that was always, that's nice. Yeah. You mentioned spouses. And I know um, you could, if you wanted to, turn this into the family vacation, couldn't you? Could. You? you could. And, and, and I think in Cuba, if I remember right, we did actually have a family um, little kids would be hard, but it was, uh, we, I do remember a family, two, two grown adults and their grown son, uh, all came on the trip. And so you absolutely could. And, and in fact, what a lot of, a lot of attorneys do is they do kind of use this as their vacation to some extent, but then because it's a CLE, it also can serve, um, you can write it off to some extent. Uh, uh, on your taxes. Now consult your tax accountant. Don't take Joe's word how this works. But uh, it is a business expense because you are getting CLE. And if you do have an annual CLE budget, you know, a lot of firms, that's where they will pull this money from. And so um, a lot of a lot of groups, a lot of people use this as a way to meet their CLE budget or use their CLE budget in a way that they can write off as a business expense, but still really, really enjoy you know, a different different perspective and a different opportunity. Now, are there still COVID considerations you have to give with, you know, you're talking about traveling abroad, different rules, restrictions, things like that? Uh, yes, yes, they did. Right now, those seem to be lifted. And so when we went to Morocco, there were no restrictions other than whatever the airports, you know, here uh, implemented. But the, the program did shut down during 2020, during COVID, um, not just because of what our rules were, but, you know, internationally, everything was shut down. And so we didn't, we went out of the gate with this, with CLE abroad, you know, great 2018, 2019, we did a few trips to Cuba and then everything stopped. And for about two years, really, uh, all of 2020 and all of 2021. So this Morocco trip was really our first one kind of back, you know, back full force. So COVID definitely impacted things, but hopefully we're out of that. Did you get to learn anything about how other countries and their legal systems sort of navigated the pandemic in terms, you know, there's things like uh, restrictions and physical places. You're coming into the courtroom. Uh, there's there's litigation involving uh, government action. Did you get to to learn about how other countries are dealing with those things or how they did? I would say we'd learned that in Morocco, uh, but not so much from any official uh, as much as we learned from our tour guides and then our families. We that was a conversation at least that came up in the house I was in um, when we were hosted when Omar hosted us, and we just asked about how did you navigate. COVID. It's important to understand the context of which what we're talking about when we ask them that question. So Omar and his family live inside the Medina in Fez. And so the Medina is a walled city. And this is an ancient walled city built in, I'll say the ninth century, I think, if I remember right. Um, and there are there's over 100,000 people living in this walled city. And inside this walled city, this Medina, it's where all of their shopping occurs. It's where they get their local, their food every day. It's where they, some of them go to school. Some of their kids go to school inside the Medina. It is a hustling, bustling business commerce district that people need to live in and they need to survive by getting out to the stores and the shops. Everything that they need is there. And during COVID, that was completely shut down. So it's not like here in Indiana where if, if a local store is shut down, maybe you can get to the grocery store or whatever. 
you're talking about 100,000 people living in a very, very, very tight quarters, trying to not expose each other. And it was, I just can't imagine how hard that was. And so they were quarantined. Uh, they weren't allowed to go out or they would have, they would have certain hours. They had restrictions, right? But their government very much um, treated it like most others. Um, they, they put in rules, they put in quarantines, they put in restrictions that people had to follow. I would say Morocco was even more diligent, I think. The, the rules were more restrictive than they were here. Not so much that you would get in trouble if you didn't follow them, but you were incentivized to follow them was kind of how they, they managed it. But like everybody else, you know, they had a lot of deaths, unfortunately. Uh, so there's no way to get around that. But, you know, they're out and now the Medina's back and thriving and it's just crazy. Yeah. Remind me of uh, the, the next trips you have coming up. So the, we, the state bar does not have any plan that we are organizing. However, the way that the, the way that CLE abroad works is as other states come to them um, with requests, they will ask, do you want to open this up to others? And so we don't ever actually know when we might get an email from Danny that says, hey, this trip's just been organized. If you want to share it with your members, please do. I do know they are planning on a trip, I want to say 2024, to Israel. So Israel is on their horizon, and so is Italy. Cuba is always a popular one uh, and because it's. I think the thing that's cool about CLE Abroad is they're able to, they plan trips. And this is where I think it, to me personally, the real the real value of this program is they will plan trips and give you an immersion into a culture that you could never do on your own in places that are hard to plan. So when you think about if you were going to plan a vacation to Cuba as an individual, like how do you do that? What does that look like? You know, or if you're going to plan a trip to Morocco, like how easy would that be? I'm sure you could hire a travel agent maybe, but then would you have access to people from the U.S. Embassy, from the Parliament, from you know all of the scholars? Like so, you would never have that access. But even just planning the trip, I think, would be really, really hard. And so CLE Abroad does all that, and they can get you to places that would be really hard to get to on your own. And so you know, when I think about where they're going in the future, some of them I think are people would feel comfortable traveling to Scotland on their own, probably, right? You know, Cuba, not so much. Morocco, probably not. Uh, I would say that would be a difficult one. Israel, I don't know. Probably, I would view that as a difficult one. Other folks may not. Um, but then Italy, you know, so it's a mix. It's a good mix. And they do try to do it all different times of year. They do try to pick a warmer climate during the January, February months, um, kind of a winter getaway. But um, so those are the ones I know of, but we don't know what's coming down the pike. I won't know until he emails me. <laughs> I saw online when you're going to Scotland, this and it totally makes sense. You're going to make sense right next to golf. You're going to be doing something with whiskey, scotch, I'm assuming. Is that right? Yeah. So one of the things that this company does, I think is really interesting is when we talk about culture and exposing you, they really think beyond like, you know, like just beyond the normal, what we're going to eat here, we're going to drink there. They really immerse you into like how it's done, the things that the country is known for. But interestingly enough, also things that sometimes the country is not known for. So, you know, the Scotch tour and the whiskey tour, you know, if, if you're going to go to Scotland, I feel like, you know, that's like you have to do that. Right. In Morocco, they did a similar thing where we actually had a CLE program about the laws of production of alcohol in a Muslim country. And so, you know, alcohol is forbidden in Muslim countries. And so by law. And so how do you have a winery that operates in Morocco? And what are the laws behind that? And so I can imagine when, you know, in Scotland, there's going to be a lot of conversation, not only enjoying the scotch, but what are the laws? How does it work? What's the history? Right. So, yeah. On, on behalf of the Indiana lawyer staff, I mean, I, I saw the whiskey part of this and I was wondering, are, are you allowing reporters to travel with you as part of your delegation? Anyone can go. 
Uh, you just have to sign need, up and okay. Well, see, that's the part where you <laughs> lost me. <laughs> yep, anyone can go. Okay, well, that'll do it for our, our extended interview this week. Thank you again for joining me, Joe. Thank you, Tyler. I really appreciate it. As always, to hear our previous interviews, visit theindianalawyer.com or find us on your favorite podcast app. We'll talk to you next time.